in Congress, July 4th, 1776. The Unanimous Declaration of the 13 United States of America. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their, their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such, such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present King of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having a direct object, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. 27 of them enumerated. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress, assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do, in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are, and of right ought to be, free and independent states that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, and that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Well, when was the last time that you guys stopped and looked at the Declaration of Independence? I'm 
I mean, I honest, years and years and years it's been. But every, every year we celebrate the 4th of July. I mean, do we, do we remind ourselves of, of what this holiday, and, and for us right now, that this holiday weekend means? You know, this holiday is about so much more than hot dogs, you know, cookouts, getting together with family, swimming, canceling fireworks, all those sorts of things. You know, the 4th of July is about a country that is founded and rooted and established on Christian principles. Patrick Henry, in his speech, Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death, he said this, It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religion, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. George Washington, on his farewell address to the nation, said, Do not let anyone claim tribute of America patriotism if they even attempt to remove religion from politics. President Thomas Jefferson said the First Amendment was created, has created a wall of separation between the church and state. But that wall is a one-directional wall. It keeps the government from running the church but it makes sure that Christian principles will always stay in the government. And then finally, John Adams said, our Constitution was made for a moral and a religious people. It is wholly inadequate to, the gover- to a government of any other kind. So you can see that despite what modern politicians say, despite what contemporary media or history revisionists say, America was founded on the concept of freedom to worship, and very specifically on the freedom to worship Jesus Christ. Now today for our time, you know, because, you know, we have the unique privilege of having the 4th of July and this whole weekend kind of being all wrapped up together and, and certainly with everything that's going on in our country and all the, the America bashing that we have out there, I wanted to step back. I wanted to just step back and, and look at a parallel between our fi- founding father's allegiance to this country and the same allegiance that if we are Christians that we're to have to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lamb. I think it was probably put best as talking about our founding fathers. Uh, I was listening uh, to the radio, or, or excuse me, to TV on the newscast, and it said, you know, that, that the founding fathers were imperfect men that were following a perfect God. And, and I think that could pretty much sum up the starting of the United States of America, the founding fathers. And that great moment of the Declaration of Independence, they made a bold declaration it's called the Declaration of Independence because the word declaration, it means an announcement. I mean, they were standing, they were becoming vulnerable. They were standing before, you know, the known world at that time and making an announcement concerning freedom. You see, for more than 14 months after the Battle of Lexington and Concord happened in April 19th, and again, I'm just, these are all historical things that you can Google and, and, and find out the truth, and I would encourage you to do that. I, I so enjoyed this past week you know, studying the history of our country and, and where Christ and their faith played. But anyway, in April 19, 1775, the, the patriots fought not for their independence. They originally didn't st- uh, start out to, to break away from British rule, 
but they began to fight just for their rights within the British Empire, for, for things to change, rights that had been gradually taken away um, you know, long before the Boston Tea Party. Hundreds of Americans gave their lives fighting for just these rights before the Declaration of Independence was ever signed. 400 alone died in the Battle of Bunker Hill. Then finally, early in the summer of 1776, at a meeting of the Continental Congress on July 2nd, 1776, the colonies voted to announce and declare that they would accept nothing less than absolute freedom <coughs> from England. Two days later, on July 4th, after making some minor adjustments to the script, the final wording was ratified and the Declaration of Independence was signed by 56 members, those representing the 13 colonies. Now we know a lot of the names, some of them are more familiar to us. People like John Hancock, you know, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, did you know Benjamin Franklin was one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence? It was signed on July 4th. On July 8th, the Liberty Bell sounded from the Tower of Independence Hall calling its citizens together for the first public reading of the Declaration of Independence. After the, dec after the Declaration was signed, couriers took copies of it to George Washington, who was with his troops in New York. And on July 9th, the Declaration was read before the militia troops who were out in the fields, basically committing them to fight for their freedom. The next month, June 1776, Bestie Ross was commissioned to sew and to, uh, to kind of design the first American flag. Thirteen stripes alternating red, white, and blue. Thirteen stars representing the 13 colonies in that field of blue representing a, a, a new uh, constellation. And we need to understand that this was a bold declaration. The Americans were challenging the most powerful empire of the world at that time. And the Americans entered the war without a navy or without really an organized army. Their fighting forces consisted only of militia units in, in various colonies spread out over the, na uh, the nation. But then on the other side, who were they fighting? They were fighting England. England had an army, a navy of well-trained, highly disciplined soldiers but they made a bold declaration and they pledged their life and their allegiance to their country. And as a result of it, they paid a very high price for that declaration. After the Americans declared their independence, they had to win it by force. And that task proved especially difficult, partly because the people of the nation never fully united behind the war effort. A large number of the colonists, about one-third, remained unconcerned about the outcome of the war. They were basically, they were just indifferent. You know, they supported neither side. You know, kind of a, we don't want to get our hands dirty, you know, peace at all costs, let's not rock the boat. They didn't want to get involved. You know, they loved the concept of having freedom and being able to govern themselves, but they didn't want to get their hands dirty. And then as many as one-third of the population sympathized with Great Britain. They called themselves the Loyalists. The Patriots called them Tories uh, after a political group in Great Britain 
that were ardent supporters of the king. These problems meant that the victory in the Revolutionary War depended on the patriots who made up about a third of the population. Between 30 and 40% of the entire population was committed to this effort. They stood for freedom regardless of what any uh, or whether any of their other brothers and sisters were going to be standing together with them. And in that time, in that war, that about eight-year war, 7,200 Americans were killed. 8,200 were wounded. 10,000 died from disease and exposure. Nearly 3,000 men died at the Battle of Valley Forge alone. An additional 6,500 died in prison after being captured. And 1,400 soldiers were listed as missing. And you say, well, what about those 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence who kind of got this whole thing going? Did they pay a price for pledging their allegiance? Yes, they did. Their conviction resulted in untold suffering for themselves and for their families. Again, just Google this. Of the 56 men, five were captured by the British and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons in the Revolutionary Army. Another two sons were captured. Nine of the 56 fought and died from wounds of hardship of war. Carter Braxton of Virginia, a wealthy planter and tradesman, saw his ships sunk by the British Navy. He had to sell his home and all of his property just to be able to pay his debts. And ultimately he died in poverty. At the Battle of Yorktown, the British general, Cornwallis, had taken over Thomas Nelson's home for his main headquarters. Nelson quietly ordered George Washington to open fire on his home. The home was destroyed, and Nelson died in bankruptcy. John Hart, another signer of the Declaration, he was driven from his wife's side. Their 13 children fled for their lives. His fields were destroyed, for over a year, he lived in the forest and caves, returning home only to find his wife had died and his children had vanished. And a few weeks later, he died from exhaustion. Now, I think we would all agree, it's one thing to make a bold declaration to anything when we're in the comfort you know, of, of our home or our church, or in their case, the comfort of the congregational meeting. But it's quite another to pay the price. To pay that price, to, f- to fulfill the declaration on the field of battle. To pay with blood yours, your family, your neighbors. Our founding fathers, they made a bold declaration and they paid a high price. But they also reaped a great reward for America. The war that began on April 19, 1775, officially ended when the Treaty of Paris was signed in 1783. Nearly two years after the Great Battle of Yorktown, where 10,000 troops laid down their arms and General Cornwallis hid in a cave, the Americans made a bold declaration. They paid a high price, but they reaped a great reward. They won their freedom. Our nation won its independence. And a particular kind of nation was established. A nation where every human being could be free. 
and have something to say about how they were governed. But not only did these patriots win their freedom, but at the Treaty of Paris in 1783, the U.S. territory doubled in size as Britain gave them, gave this new nation all of the land to the east of the Mississippi River. And though many signers of that great declaration paid a high price, there are many who signed, who lived through it, that reaped great rewards. Two that signed the Declaration of Independence became presidents. Of those 56, 10 became congressmen, 19 judges, 16 became governors. Many of the others, you know, that were, were part of that forming, if not even signing it, they, they became high political officers. Not to mention the enduring place they hold in history as we talk about these men and what they did. These patriots, they made the pledge, they paid the price, and they reaped a great reward, freedom, a new land, a new country, a bright future, a new beginnings, and everything that we enjoy today, our ability to come here to freely worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It came at the price that these, these men paid in blood. Let's talk about the Christian faith for just a little bit here. Because as Christians, if you are a Christian here today, you too have made a bold declaration. If you are here today and you call yourself a Christian, it's because you, you have made a bold declaration. And I hope we realize with that bold declaration, the commitment that you made when you made that declaration. Do you remember the day that you became a Christian, that you declared your allegiance to Jesus Christ? Maybe you stood before the body of Christ and you came forward and confessed, Jesus Christ is now your Lord and he is your Savior. Maybe you quietly prayed by your bedside, you know, holding the Bible in your hands as God began to speak to you. Or you prayed with a Sunday school teacher or a parent. However it happened, it is at that moment that we made a bold declaration. We were at that time pledging our allegiance, pledging our devotion, pledging our loyalty, our dedication, our commitment. We were committing our very life to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Understanding that you were at that time proclaiming what Paul proclaimed in, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I mean, this same proclamation that I am crucified with Christ, but I no longer live. You know, it is, it is no longer I who live, excuse me, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Friends, that is a declaration. That is a Christian declaration. That is a commitment that we have made to our Savior. And it is a very bold declaration to say that we will no longer live for ourselves. That's what it means. When, when we become a Christian, we no longer live for ourselves. We are no longer seeking our will for our lives. We are no longer going to live for the things of this world, power and pleasure and popularity and, and possessions but rather we will seek God's will for our life. God, what do you want of me? Why have you called me to yourself? 
Why have you brought me into to, to be a child of yours? Seeking to do what pleases him more than seeking what pleases us. Basically, we're declaring that he comes first. That Jesus Christ comes first. It's a bold declaration to say that you will live for him, the one who died for you. And if you're here today and you're a Christian, in some form, in some manner, you are that, you are that believer, you are that follower in Christ because of a declaration that you made in your heart to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And this declaration is as bold and powerful as the one that Joshua made in Joshua chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. You remember that one, we, we read it often. If you remember God's people, you know, were, uh, you know, had just conquered the promised land and they were beginning to settle down. And Joshua stands before his people and he says, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. A declaration. A declaration of, of freedom, of independence. To be free in Jesus Christ, to live for him. When you came to Christ, when you pledged your allegiance to the Lamb, you were making a bold declaration. And just like the patriots, we're going to pay a price. We forget all about that today in, in, in Christian United States. <coughs> that along with being a Christian, there is a price to be paid. And it's certainly one thing to make a bold declaration in the comfort of a church building, but it's quite another to go out into the world, into a secular world, and to live that declaration, to pay the price to fulfill that declaration on the battlefield of our daily lives. I think we'd all agree that most times saying words is the easy part. But then to follow it up with our actions. You know, on that, on that day when Joshua made that bold declaration, you know, you know seek ye you know, whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, when he made that declaration, there were many others. He, he, he made that in front of all of Israel and all of the leaders. And many others, you know, had the same similar words or agreeing or following him. And he made that within the comforts of the assembly. And it was a tremendous declaration by the nation of Israel. They were pledging their allegiance to God in the new land. But tragically, we know it didn't really last that long. All you have to do is turn over one book and get into the book of Judges and you'll see a record of how God's people quickly turned away from him. One generation it took. One generation to turn away from God. Today in, in Christian America, we find that not everyone is committed to this spiritual war effort. Not everyone who claimed Jesus as their Lord one day is living up to it day in and day out of their lives. Some are like the Tories. They're still loyal to the enemy. 
you know, to sin and to Satan. They have more war, uh, commitment to the world than they do their faith. You know, uh, one of the reasons we talked about that the, the Revolutionary War was so hard was because there were a third of the colonists who were unconcerned about the outcome of the war. A third that were indifferent. They were uninvolved. Now, you know, they may not directly hinder the war efforts, but they would certainly not want to, you know, participate or get their hands dirty. But you can bet when it was time to partake in the benefits, they were right there. And we find the same thing in Christianity today. There, there are so many out there that claim the name of Christ who are indifferent. You know, really. And they're not going to get their hands dirty for this effort. And certainly when it comes time to, to claim the benefits, you know, they're going to be there, you know, claiming the name of Christ. They simply watch and critique from the sideline. Folks, let's make no mistake about it. There is a high price to pay as a Christian to fulfill that declaration that we make to Jesus Christ. There is a high price to say when we stand here and we say Jesus is our Savior and Jesus is our Lord. Our Lord demands total, radical, unswerving allegiance. And this is absolutely no secret. Jesus made this clear to us when he walked on this earth. He talked about it so many times. Let me give you just three verses. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. It says he was saying to them, he's speaking about Jesus, he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Does that sound like your faith today? Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my name's sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whosoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. He goes on in Luke chapter 14, verse 26. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. It's a comparison and contrast. Is Jesus Christ and our commitment to him more than our, our, our flesh and blood relationships? Will they stand in the way of our, our commitment and our following and our obedience, whether it's our parents, our brothers, our sisters, whoever it might be? I mean, this is the allegiance that Jesus Christ is calling us to follow. <coughs> Excuse me. Then he says in Luke 14, 33, so then none of you can be my disciples who does not give up all of his possessions. Oh, see, these are great proclamations. They call for a price that's to be paid for us to be a Christian, to be a child of God, to pick up our cross daily, to deny ourselves, to die to ourselves. Folks, that's a high price that we pay as Christians. But I'm here to tell you this morning, the reward 
that we will reap is a great one. It is worth it. There will make, be great sacrifices that are made. There's going to be pain. There is going to be suffering. But we are going to reap a great reward. It says in John chapter 8, 36, So if the Son of Man makes you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus Christ makes us free. And that declaration is bold that Jesus is my Lord. The price is high. We need to die to ourselves. But the reward is great. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, he says, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. A crown, a reward. In Revelations chapter 21, verse 5 through 7, Says, and he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the springs of water life without cost. What's our reward for following Jesus? What's our reward for any sacrifices we're asked to make of our life? He says, I will give you life. He who overcomes will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. And finally, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14. It says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming, got in there, of the Lord will not proceed those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And I love this last simple phrase, therefore comfort one another with these words. There's a high price to pay. There's a great declaration that we make that Jesus Christ is our Savior and Jesus Christ is our Lord. But our great comfort that we live on this side of eternity, when we turn away from the power and the possessions and the popularity of the world and we follow after Jesus Christ, there is great comfort knowing what is ahead for us and what is to come. Freedom in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you just for the example and for the sacrifice that our founding fathers had, Lord. And in such a, you know, just a small way, what an example it is for us, for me, Lord, as a Christian. I pray that you'll help remind me of this. It's easy for me just to get caught up in the American life and forget that first and foremost, I am a child of God, a child of yours. I'm part of your family. And that, Lord, that means so much more than just words to me. Help me, Lord, to pay the price when it is called of me, 
Help me not to shrink, Father, from who I am in Jesus Christ. And Father, we look forward, those of us who know you as our Lord and Savior, we look forward to that day when all these things will be made new. We will know you face to face in glory, in honor, in power and majesty, Father. That what we know right now is a shadow will be known in reality for us. Thank you, Father. Encourage each and every one of us here. And Lord, if there is anyone here, if they're hearing this, Lord, they, you know, even if at some point in their life they feel they've you know, had that inkling towards Christ, and, but they haven't yet truly made that heart decision, Father, I pray for them right now. I pray that this day would not go on, that this service wouldn't end and leave this building until they do business with you. To, they, they speak with you know, one of our deacons, our elders, our deaconesses, speak with myself, whoever you feel the most comfortable with, Father, and that today might be their day of salvation to become a child of yours. Thank you, Lord. In thy son's name we pray. Would you stand and sing with us as we go out with making this our prayer this morning?